You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. So I just want to introduce what we're doing today. During this time, if you're new here or if you're new to church in general, many people call this a sermon. But I'm just going to speak about the Bible for a few minutes. It's going to be a story about Jesus. And it's today and often going to be a story specifically that has to do with what we call holistic transformation. Elena mentioned it at the beginning, but holistic transformation basically means that we believe that God is really about most simply transforming our lives. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whether you're from a Christian background or you're not, he's about transforming your life. And what we mean by holistic is that that transformation begins in the heart. It begins inside of a person. And the biblical image of this is often one of water. We talk, I've talked about this a few times already, but the image in the Bible is like a, there's a well inside you, and it's, it's, as you're transformed, the water begins to well up and well up and spill over, and people begin to drink from it. In other words, it's not something that you're doing. It's something that's happening to you. And so this is why we'll talk again and again about it, but it's not about something you're doing here. We're not asking you to try to become something or to try to change or to try to, or even really primarily to try to put into practice what we'll talk about, but to try to let go, to try to give up, and to try to rest, and to try to just receive. And you will, if God is real, you'll begin to change. And so when that, we call it holistic because when that begins to spill out, it begins to change other things. You begin to see that your life starts having an impact on people around you, whether you're doing good or bad, uh, whether you meant to do something or not. You begin to see that people begin to receive good news from you and begin to change, begin to ask you questions. And then even things in society begin to change. You begin to see that God's heart is for us and it's for the whole world at the same time. So to that end, we're talking about a quiet revolution of love. This is what we're talking about for the fall. And we, I introduced it last week, but this is a series through the Gospel of Luke, which is a, a, a short book, it's not really short, but a book in the Bible that's about Jesus. Luke was a man that, that traveled with Jesus and wrote about his experience later on. And so what we're looking at here as we, as we read and what we're thinking about, we're only looking at certain passages just because of time through the fall. But we're trying to get back to what did Jesus actually teach? Uh, again, whether you grew up as a Christian or whether you're not today, Christianity has often been communicated and perceived in our culture as bad news, as judgmental, and often it has been judgmental, condescending, exclusive in a bad way. And what we're looking at is that, that, is that really what Jesus taught? Is it really the message of Jesus? And so there's two things. I want to challenge you that if you're not a Christian or if you end up bringing friends here that aren't Christians, this is a safe place to discover that and to ask questions and to wrestle. I don't assume that anything that I say or someone else says up here that you have to agree with it. Okay, this is a place to wrestle and receive. But obviously what I say, what I'm saying, I believe is true. Uh, secondly, if you are a Christian, it's, it's always important, and I think especially what I'm talking about today, Often we think, myself included, that we already get it. That I already understand what it's all about. I'm already a Christian, I get it, I'm done. And we must continue to come to the stories of the Bible, the stories of Jesus, we'll see it today, and ask the question, is this really what I live? Not just am I doing it right, is this really what's in my heart? Do I believe this? Or what are the things that come into my mouth, the things I say? Does it really sound like Jesus? Because Jesus is just not that easy. It's not that simple. It's, it is quite simple. At the same time, it's really easy to continue moving on with Christianity and have it actually not be good news. 
And we begin to speak more like what the culture says Christianity is than what Jesus says. Because Jesus' words actually sound, often, they sound quite counter-cultural to the culture of Christianity. And I think we'll see that today. So Luke chapter 5, we're just going to go through this one little story. Last week I talked about the baptism of Jesus. If you want to listen to it, it's on the website. But this story comes, comes just after Jesus has, uh, you know, at the baptism, Jesus hasn't really done anything yet. That was last week. What's happened in between is Jesus has begun his ministry, he's begun to make people angry, and he's begun to really draw an interested crowd of people who are trying to see what he's about. Even people who are very different from him. You have, you have people who are very poor, and you have religious uh, teachers and what he calls Pharisees that are wanting to know what he's about, following him, and large crowds are gathering. And in the story just before this, Jesus has healed a man who is paralyzed, has, has angered religious teachers, but has left everybody surprised. And has left everybody wondering, who is this guy? And so now he's got quite a following, and we have this story here. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. I'm going to give a bit of a background, and I'm probably going to pray for a minute, and then we'll keep going. So he's leaving this place where he's healed a man, and he's walking down the street. And so here's just some context so that we understand who Levi is and why this story matters and why it's included. The, the time that Jesus was born, he was living in Israel, but Israel was governed and, and uh, much the way that we think about colonialism today, or we know that history, and maybe even more of a fierce way, Rome had conquered Israel. And so Jesus and his uh, followers and many of the people, the Jews were still living there, but they were under the power of this foreign government. That was quite oppressive. As we know, Jesus was killed by these Romans later on. Uh, in the story that we read just before, uh, last week, uh, John the Baptist was, was killed uh, by the Romans as well. So we often forget that there's this story going on in the background of the stories that matters. For Luke, for example, it matters deeply for what's going on. So Rome is, Rome is governing the area where Jesus is. And the way that they are able to do some good things possibly, like build roads and things, but also just expand their army and their reaches. They collect taxes. The way that they do this is that the Romans would hire Jewish people. And they would hire, if you know the story of uh, Nicodemus? Zacchaeus. If, if, you, uh, if you remember the story, Zacchaeus is probably a higher-up tax collector. Okay? He's like a, tax, a manager of tax collectors. And so his job would have been, that guy would have been, to oversee a whole region, you know, to oversee Montreal and to make sure that all the taxes in Montreal come in. But then his job would also be to, to hire kind of lower-level guys to go around and collect taxes from people. There's, and, and Rome was known to have many different kinds of taxes. They were always changing, and it's, it's basically whatever they needed they would go take from people. And so this guy we have here, Levi, is one of these lower-level tax collectors. And we know even more the fact that he's sitting at a tax booth most likely means that he's more like what we think of as a customs official. Okay, so when you come through, you know, especially like you cross the border by car from the U.S. or something, you've bought a bunch of things, and they say, what did you buy? Show me what you bought. Okay, you need to come in and pay taxes on that. We need to collect some duty. This is what he's doing. So he would set up his booth on a road. It's not permanent, right? So this is why it's, you never know what's going to happen. He goes to a road, he sets up the booth, and everybody that passes, he's going to collect taxes from them. Those taxes, it's not written down anywhere, so you just have to take his word for it that this is the tax. Okay? It's not only cash either, so I'm walking along with all my olive oil or whatever, and I pass him and he says, okay, you got five barrels of olive oil and I'm going to need one for Rome. 
and I have to give it to him, okay? Rome is a scary group of people. So the way it works, though, is the way that it's a job for him is that he knows what Rome is charging him. Well, I mean, what Rome is saying, we need this amount of tax. So he's going to say, okay, I've got to collect that amount of tax, so I'm going to actually charge more, and I'm going to keep the difference. So this is like extortion. Okay, so Steph walks by, and she's got all her stuff, and I say, okay, I've got to give this many things of olive oil today, but I need to make some money too, so I'm going to take double. I'm not going to tell her it's for me, but she knows. I'm going to take double, and this is how I'm going to make a living. The problem is that Levi is a Jewish guy. So this is why, you know in the Bible, if you know anything about the New Testament, the, the tax collectors were always seen as very you know, bad people. It's always negative when we talk about tax collectors. But it's, for me, it's often been kind of weird. I understand how a tax collector would be negative. Nobody likes paying, most people don't like paying taxes, but why so negative? And it's because for them, the Jews like Levi is a traitor. Okay? He's a guy that has said, I'm going to go to the people that are oppressing us, and I'm going to work for them. And not only am I going to collect taxes for them, I'm going to oppress my own people and take from them. And so tax collectors were not known for taking just a little bit just so they could buy some bread and get by. They were known for taking lots, for having quite a bit of money, but for being alienated then from their own people. So I just want to start by having you think about Levi for a second and, and wonder what kind of guy is he? What kind of guy would sign up to be a tax collector? What kind of Jew? Knowing that choosing to do this would leave you rejected by your people. Who would choose to do that? It's probably somebody who's already quite rejected. Who doesn't feel like they have many opportunities, right? And so this is Levi. So Jesus leaves this place. And, he, and I want you to see that in the short story, all the words matter. Jesus went out and he sees Levi. Jesus knows who he is. He knows the background I've talked about even more than that. And he sees him at his tax booth. And this is the setup for the story. I'm going to pray for a couple minutes. I'm going to leave a moment of silence. And then uh, I'm going to, we'll keep going to the meaning, the message of the story. Father, thank you for, I thank you for your love for us. Father, it's so easy to go through moments like this, to come to a church, to come to a place, and have it be uh, an event. And it's so easy, Father, for our hearts, for my own heart, not to enter into what you're trying to say to us. Father, I want to speak for myself. I don't think, you don't require us to, to do religious things. You don't require of us anything, even the sacrifice of, of showing up somewhere on a Sunday morning. But your heart is so glad that we would come to sit before Scripture, to let you, not just me, but you speak to us, to our hearts. To let you encourage us, or for us to be an encouragement to somebody else. Because you desire to transform us from the inside. You desire this, it takes, it's over a journey, but you desire for it to happen again today. And tomorrow, when we're with other people, when we're sitting in our workplace, in our university, you desire to meet us there, to, to put living water inside of us, that we would not be thirsty, that we would feel like we're overflowing with something that's foreign to us. So I ask, Father, that this story, this old story, that you would make it new to us again, that you would speak something specific to us, whether it's through a word I say or whether it's just through what your spirit just, just puts on somebody's heart, that you would speak to us and you would show us how to move beyond some of the, the religious ways that we read the Bible, the ways that just keep us alienated from you, and you would help us to see myself included this morning, where my heart is in the story, who I am, who, what character reflects me, and then your invitation to us, Father. In your name I pray, Jesus.
So we have this guy, it's probably, I mean, it's a safe bet to say, and it's not, in, it's not in the text, that he's probably a rejected guy. Who would want to do this job? Jesus, though, as he is, we get to know Jesus. And I just want to say, too, if it's, Jesus is always trying to, not trying, he's showing us what God is like. In the, most, in the most subtle ways, he's showing us what God is like. We think about God one way, and I want you to, to ask yourself as you read it, you look at Jesus, this is how I feel about God. This is what he looks like to me. Is when I pray to God, is this who I think I'm praying to? Because Jesus, Jesus shows him what, how God interacts with people. Jesus sees Levi, and he says, he, sees, he says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Again, this is, it's an odd, if you want to be honest, it's an odd text. The guy's sitting there, he's making his living, okay? He's, he's already rejected by everybody. Jesus, the, 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 this Jewish teacher, a rabbi, comes by and he just says, follow me. And the guy gets up, leaves everything he has, and by everything, again, now that it's not just about money, he must have left all the things he's collected for the day. He leaves everything on this table and he just goes off and follows this guy, Jesus. Why? It seems so strange if we don't know the story, is that... Jesus is becoming well-known. Okay, so Levi probably knows how, who he is. And, and some writers say that the fact that Jesus has just been in this place with tons of people, this story just before, there's tons of people gathered around, he's been in this place. Levi has chosen to set up his tax booth just outside. Probably because it's a great place to collect tax. There's a big crowd of people. This is what many people think, because it's up to him where he sets it up on that day. So he sets it up, and Jesus, knowing, probably knowing this, walks out and looks at him. And says, that's, that's the guy that I want. This is integral to the story, is why he chooses who he chooses. Follow me. Levi, as a Jewish man, understands, probably knows who Jesus is, and at least understands what a rabbi is, at the very least. And the way rabbis work, Jewish teachers, is they gained prominence, they did training, they gained prominence, and then they had to uh, find students, okay, who they called disciples. And they would find them, and they would call them, and usually they were always, almost always boys at a younger age. Okay, not Levi, in other words. And these were often the most prominent students in their courses, and they would call them out, and they would enter into this life of following this person, meaning not just literally follow them, but to learn from them, to learn the way of life that they're living, to become like them, to hear their message, learn it, have it sink into who they are, and then teach it to other people when they get older, as they finish. Levi, being a tax collector, means that he never became a disciple. This was a, as you're a Jewish kid, this is, this is an honor to become this. If Levi's doing this, it means he was passed over for this. This is not an opportunity for him as a man now doing this job, for sure. This is not something he probably assumes he's going to be doing, especially as now he's a very unholy guy. Okay? The people that disliked uh, tax collectors were pretty much everybody. No one, everybody had to pay the tax, and beyond that, even the religious people who we'll see really didn't like tax collectors because they saw them as not just kind of unethical, annoying traitors, but they saw them as, as sinners to the religious system. They were, Rome was not God's will to them. Okay, Rome ruling over Israel was not God's will, and so you siding with God's enemy was the worst thing you could do. So they needed to be cleansed, the religious people would say, not just to, to stop doing it. And so Jesus goes to this guy, the guy that has no chance to be a disciple, and says, follow me. And, and you can see that, that Levi has wanted something like this. He's wanted something like this. So he, he immediately sets everything down, follows Jesus, probably somewhat in shock. And then this is what he does. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So what's happened? This guy is so excited 
that he invites Jesus back to his house and he invites all the people he knows. So again, imagine what's happening now is that first see what's happening. We, we have a conception of Jesus often as a guy who, what does Jesus do? If you don't know anything other than this story, what does Jesus do? Is he goes and he finds a guy who has a lot of problems. And what does he say to him? He wants him to come with him. He wants him to be his follower. And all he says is, follow me. He doesn't tell him to stop collecting tax. Although it's kind of inferred that if you're going to follow him, it's going to be difficult to do that. But he doesn't tell him to stop. He just says, follow me. Then the guy invites Jesus to his house and invites all his other tax collecting friends who are still tax collectors. They haven't stopped to follow Jesus. They're still collecting tax. They're just having dinner with him. Jesus seems fine with this and he's eating with them. This is important because we begin to see what Jesus is interested in. Jesus can say all kinds of things. Okay? He can come to him and say, what you're doing is wrong. See, I just want you to see what he's not saying. What you're doing is wrong, and I don't want you to do this anymore. I want you to come and to learn from me how to be, you know, whatever, a Jew, a disciple of mine, whatever he wants to say. But he doesn't. He invites him, he goes to his house, and he begins to eat with him. And this becomes a big problem for people in the story. So, he's sitting there having dinner with them. And then we have this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees were, sorry, there's lots of background today, but the, the last part is where we'll get to the heart of what is Jesus' message about today. The Pharisees were a group of, and I'm saying this because I know we all probably have an understanding of who the Pharisees were, but just try to, try to think about it again. The Pharisees were everyday people in a way. They were not priests. They were not a special religious class. There was that group of people who were in the temple. The Pharisees were more like... Uh, if you had a group of Christians today who believed a very specific theology and believed that everybody should believe exactly like this and they were very serious about it, this is how the Pharisees were within Judaism. Okay? The Pharisees had a very specific ideas about what it meant to be a Jew. And I want you to see if this sounds any way similar to some of the way that we think as Christians. Pharisees believed that, that the Old Testament, which is the Bible that they had, that the Old Testament was God's word to them. I'm not saying everything they believe is wrong, by the way. This is just what they believe. The, the Old Testament is God's word to them. And they believed, uh, I won't talk about it today, we talked about Jubilee last week, and I'm going to use that word if you don't uh, understand, we can, we'll talk about it a lot. But the, the Pharisees believed that God wanted to make the world right again, like we talk about in Jubilee. They had this idea that God would come, that he would send a Messiah, and that that Messiah would, would do away with Rome in some way, and that he would bless the people, that Israel would be Israel again, and would all the promises of the Old Testament would come to pass. They believed that. The way that they believed that would happen is if they were to follow what God gave them. Okay, so God gave us the law, Old Testament law. If we're to follow that law, then, then God will bless us. That's what God's waiting for. Why isn't God doing something? Why isn't he coming? Why isn't he delivering us? Well, the answer is because we're not following his law. The way that they then, because they were so serious about this, they began to write their own things, their own interpretation of that law. So in the Old Testament, it says, uh, you know, they should not work on the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? So that they would begin to write interpretations. On the Sabbath, to not work means to, to not walk more than 1.2 kilometers. You know, over 1.2 kilometers is an example. Is work before that, you're still clear. So they had this, they had this assumption that Jews should be following the Old Testament as well as the interpretation of, that, of those writings. This is why, when you read the stories, that they're so serious with people about following the law. 
There's, they come off as quite judgmental, which they probably were. But it's because they believe God's not blessing us because you won't follow what he's given us already. What they believed in the culture as well was they were so serious about it that to eat with somebody who didn't follow that law, it was as if their issues would rub off on you. Eating was... was, was uh, um, what's the word? It was like fellowship to them. It was like family. By eating or drinking with somebody, it was saying, you're, you're with me. You can be in my family. You can eat with me. It was almost like a term of acceptance for the person. And so for them, it's not just that they're judgmental, angry people. It's that they have this deep belief about God, that God will bless us when we obey, that God's waiting for us to come. And this is why often they just want to do away with people who aren't like them. People who, they they have this message, they're always preaching it, they're always teaching it. Those who don't want to listen, it's probably better if they go. Because if we can get Israel to live like Israel should live, then God will bless us. This is the way they thought about God. This is why they have a problem with what Jesus is doing. They look, it seems they're even scared to ask Jesus. They look and they say to his disciples, the people that are with him, who are Jews, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. You see, for the Pharisees, who are interested in who Jesus is, think Jesus does not get it at all. There's something special about Jesus, but he is so misinformed. Him doing this shows, number one, he cares nothing about uh, what people think about him. Because for a religious teacher, to be a prominent religious teacher, they should show face. They should do well. They should not be seen in compromising situations like this. And also, does he not understand the basic point that if you want God to bless you, if you want him to bless Israel, you need to obey the law. Which, number one, means not eating with people who don't obey the law. For them, he's so far from who they think the Messiah is, because this is how they think about God. Jesus overhears them speaking, and he uses a bit of sarcasm. And he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want you to think now about your own faith, whatever it is. If you don't believe in any of the stuff, you just don't even know what I'm talking about, that's fine. Just think, what, what do you believe about God? Do you believe in God? Do you not? Just, and if you're a Christian, I want you to think about how you relate to God, how you think about him. Because I think when we read these stories, myself included, it's easy not to identify with the Pharisees. No, it's like, I'm not a Pharisee. Of course I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not perfect. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a hypocrite. I, you know what I mean? But I think that the Pharisees in the stories are more like most of us than we think. For sure, more like Christianity in general often than we think. And it's because the Pharisees, again, they're not just bad people. They're people that believe that the way to relate to God is by following the law well, and then God will bless us. This is not an altogether weird idea, right? I mean, there are places in the Bible where it certainly sounds like this. God desires us to be holy and pure and set apart. This is what the Pharisees believed. The problem with that is that their interpretation of that meant that by doing this, by setting myself apart, you see what they're doing now? I can't be with people who are not like me, who are not following God. I set myself apart. I live a holy, righteous, pure life. Of course, this is what God desires of me. This is the Pharisees. Jesus, though, is not even on this plane. This is a bit hard to explain. Jesus is, is nowhere near this kind of interpretation. Now, imagine that Jesus... Imagine, believe for a moment, that Jesus is the image of God on earth. He's God speaking. If you want to know what God would say to that kind of idea, this is what God is saying. And Jesus answers by saying, it's not healthy people who need a doctor, but sick people. So he's just spinning the whole, their whole understanding about life. We thought that the way that you relate to God, the way that I relate to God, is by doing what he says, living a holy, righteous, pure life. 
and then God will bless me, then I'll be pleased. Because we already know that God doesn't want anything to do with sin. See how they get this idea? He doesn't want anything to do with sin, so if I don't, then he'll be pleased with me. But Jesus doesn't really even directly answer the question. What he says is that it's, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. What's he saying? He's saying that God is like a doctor. So he's just trying to change the way that we think. You should relate to God as if he's a doctor. Who are doctors for? They're for people who are sick and know they're sick. They're not for people who are healthy. This is why it's sarcasm. Does Jesus believe that the Pharisees are perfect? Of course not. Does he believe that they're actually righteous? No, of course not. He believes that his life is righteousness. What he's doing here is righteousness. But he's being sarcastic with him. He's saying, we already know if you're righteous, if you're, if you're healthy, you don't need a doctor. So in other words, and it's a very hard word, what he says here, I've not come, if, you, if they don't understand that who he is, the Messiah, but I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. What he ends up saying is, you've been waiting for God to bless you by following what he said. But here God is, and he hasn't even come for you. He's not even here for you. In other words, and you see it through the stories, Jesus will respond to the Pharisees when they're there, right? When they say something to him, like here or about him, he'll respond to them. But it's, his mission is not to them. He has, and it's, it's a really sad thing, and I, this is the sad part of the message today. It might just end like this. Jesus has not come for us if we are righteous and have it together. And this is a hard thing, because... If I live my life, this is why it's so sad, because it's so easy. What I said at the beginning is it's really simple, but it's really hard at the same time. To live my life from a posture of, God, I, I, I will be pure and follow you and righteous, is to cut yourself off from God completely. So he says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want you to think about Levi now, and the very beginning of the story. Jesus comes to Levi, who is himself a person that for sure knows he's sick. You know, there's no pretending for Levi. You know, he's, it's very clear to him that he's, he doesn't probably think it's right. He just thinks he's a broken guy. He thinks it's the only thing he can do. He's probably hardened, angry, but he still thinks deep down inside, I understand what I'm doing is not good. I'm stealing from my own people, my own family members sometimes. Who knows? Like, of course I'm not good. And Jesus goes to him and he calls him. That's what the word says. And I want you to see this. Though. I've not come to call, Jesus says to Levi at the very beginning, he calls him to follow him. What does he do then? What Jesus is saying to us in this story, what the story means to the Pharisees, is that Jesus has come with a call that only, it's only for certain people, in fact. That's the hard call of Jesus. We say it's for everybody. It is, in a way, this is for everybody. But how Jesus says, for those who have ears, let them hear, in some ways the call is not for everybody. The call is for whoever needs the call. Whoever needs a physician, that's what he's here for. When the physician comes and says, oh, yeah, this person is healthy, 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 okay, well, I'm not here for them. The people looking for God, this is how they missed him. The people looking for God couldn't find him because they, they didn't know the God they were looking for. They thought the God they were looking for was a person, and it's so sad because it's so easy to go down this road, is a person who was requiring the following of laws before he would do something. But God has no, God's not acting or playing like that. God assumes that we're all broken, that we're all, in this, in this story, that we're all sick. So when he looks at Levi, he doesn't see a person who is a traitor. Jesus sees a sick person. And he sees him, he knows he's sick, and he calls him to something better. So he doesn't say, even though this is fine, he doesn't tell him or overemphasize that he needs to stop what he's doing. Although he will, and he does. He just calls him to something better. 
So this is the first thing, is that God is calling us to something better. Wherever we're at, this is whether being a Christian for a long time or not, we have to live in this place. This is the story. It's not something you get beyond. You have to live in this place of God is like a doctor to me, and I am sick. What he says here is, I've not come to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. And, and sinner for Jesus, and this is a term that is overused or it's offensive or something. Sinner is a person to Jesus. It's almost like a term for a human being. Because in the story, it assumes that everyone's actually a sinner, of course. It's just some people know they are and some people don't. And the religious people are the ones who didn't understand that they were, in fact, this. That they related to God not as a person who follows laws, but as a person who says, I'm sick and I need help. So, so God sees sin, in this story at least, and he uses different metaphors. God sees sin as a sickness that people have. Now, the actions that I take in my life, or in Levi, is responsible for his actions. But the actions to Jesus stem from a condition called sin or sickness. And that sickness is the issue for God. God looks down, in other words, in the story, and he sees people who are sick, and it's the people who know they're sick that he comes to to heal them, to protect them. What is sin then? Often we think about sin as it's a huge problem to God. And it is. In the stories of the Bible, sin is an issue. It's the issue in the very beginning. It, it through, through the story, it's individual sin and the condition of sin that's a problem. But sin is not actually really a problem for God anymore. And we know this because he solved the problem already. Jesus, later on, as he goes to the cross, and as he dies on the cross, we know that why he's dying is it's a sacrifice for this sickness, this thing called sin. And he rose from the dead three days later. It means that he actually conquered the sickness. Meaning there's a healing for the sickness. Is there. So to God in eternity, sin is dealt with. So he's not uptight about it. The reason that Jesus is here is because sin is bad for you. It's bad for me. See, that's how God's relating. The Pharisees think, God's so angry about sin, so you need to stop. And then he'll be kind to us. You think in your own life, this is why it's relevant. How, is, how am I a Pharisee then? It's not just that I'm a hypocrite but that I think that God is pleased or displeased with me based on my behavior. I talk about it all the time. I think it's so true. And what he wants to see is he doesn't want me to relate to him like that. He wants me to relate to him like a child or like a person who understands that deep down inside that I'm sick and need healing. This is, this is how it works, by the way, that we become people who aren't judgmental. Become a person who's not judgmental. It's not by trying to not be judgmental. It's by getting in touch with your, with your own condition. And then you see people who obviously aren't doing well, and you feel something called compassion. Because you understand that this is where you live. Getting people to try to stop judging doesn't really work. Getting them to get in touch with who they are deep down inside, that's what brings them to a place of compassion. You'll see it because often what we do as Christians, and these are just a couple things maybe for some of you, often what we do as Christians is when we, when we start following Jesus, we think that the answer is to be gone and away from people who sin. Right? So often we say, because we're scared, Rob comes to know Jesus, and I say, okay, first, Rob, do not hang out with those people anymore. Okay? In certain cases, this might be wise. Okay? If, if you're struggling with an addiction or something, and you can't be in that situation. But in general, Jesus doesn't do this. What does he do? He calls him. He understands the condition that Levi is in, and he goes to the house, and Levi invites all the other tax collectors. And this to Jesus is fine. It is as it should be. Because Jesus loves being around people who know who they are, who know they're sick. So, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
So here's that, that last word, repentance. When Jesus calls Levi to follow him, he calls him away from the tax booth, which is a picture of repentance. It was a journey. He's assuming that, and it happens to Levi, who's Matthew, if you know the stories. Matthew begins to follow Jesus. Matthew, of course, changes completely. Matthew writes another gospel like Luke called Matthew. But how did Jesus help him change, right? He called him to something better, and he, he wanted him to stay in a place. This is, this is also the thing. He wanted him to stay in a place with people who were real. It's not a bad thing to be... It's, it's, Jesus is around the people who are not religious. He's constantly around the people who know they're sick. Jesus is not uptight about people who don't have it together. He's much more at rest, at peace there, because that's who he's come for. This is the only prerequisite, by the way, as we're going to close here. This is the only prerequisite to having a relationship with God. Is coming to a place where you can identify that you are sick. This is not bad either, because if it's true that we're all sick, then the best thing we could do is just accept it. And the reason it matters into our Christian life is although it's true that God is making me new, although it's true I'm being, I'm being transformed inside, and you could say in a way that four years ago that I was more sick in a way that I am today, it's very easy to begin your life, and they talk about this in the scriptures, it's very easy to begin your life as a sick person, your new life in Jesus. You can start your life, God, I'm sick. And then as you become a Christian and you live, you begin to think, ah, I don't do that stuff anymore. I'm getting pretty good. You might not say this stuff, but you think, you don't identify like you used to. You, know? you don't always identify with the kind of brokenness, and I need to be healed. But it's living in that place. It's very hard. It's a both and. I am made new, completely new. And at the same time, I identify that my life I live today, I cannot pretend, is still in many ways broken and sick. I mean, I just think yesterday I had a pretty bad day. And afterward, I felt God saying, now you can talk about Levi. Because I wasn't really in touch at the time with, why did I talk about this? I'm like, well, I really don't have it together. So God wants to bring us to a place where we don't stay like that, but we begin to we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sick, and I want you to heal me. And I want to walk with you as a, as a physician and a healer, and I want you to, to touch me and heal me. And what that does is, this is why it's about holistic transformation. Because when that starts happening on the inside, you won't have to try to have compassion. And you know what? You will probably find yourself where Jesus is. You will find yourself around people who already know they're rejected who already feel like that, who already feel sick, and then you'll go, oh, I know you. I know you because I feel like that too. But Jesus is a great physician who's healing me and wants to heal you. See, if you move beyond that, you won't be very effective. It won't be transformational. will be trying. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.